everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cracked Up, the podcast where we talk about everything that makes us feel broken. And Randy, help me out here. Yeah, we're going to talk about just how hard this life can be and what it's like to not feel okay. This program is comprised solely of the participants' recollections, stories, and information as told to host and by host during recorded conversation. Any information disclosed about individuals related to the participants, but not a part of this program, is a retelling of the participants' memory. So before we get into the business of what we're talking about today, Randy, I do want to call back to the last episode we released where we had Priya on. She's a sex therapist. We learned a lot from her. I learned very specifically one huge lesson from her and that lesson being communication and consent. Mm-hmm. Priya was giving us a background on the kink world. You know, she she had explained how choking was a part of kink. And I made a joke saying, well, I thought all men choked women while having sex. And we had a good laugh over it. And then we just continued talking. But I didn't want to leave that there without explaining, especially as we went down to the end of the episode where Priya emphasized how important communication and consent are when it comes to trying beyond choking. I mean, in the kink world, there's I want to say more extreme expressions of sexuality played out between partners, but the key to that feeling safe and that feeling okay for both of them was communication and consent. And it really opened my eyes up because in my life, not realizing I was exploring something in kink, besides one sexual partner I've had, every man I've been with has in some way incorporated choking into our sex life you know after it happened more than one one partner to me that had just become such a normal part of a man expressing themselves sexually with me but the the part that gets me after our conversation with Priya especially is that in all of these scenarios there was never a conversation beforehand Now, moving forward, I am going to initiate conversation like that. And I am going to question what I normalize just by not talking about it. Yeah. And I think that actually happens for a lot of women. There is almost a hesitation to speak up about those things, right? And it's, it is interesting that some of the things that have happened during sex, if you talk to a bunch of women, they will say to you that they did not speak up about something that they were not comfortable with. Oh my God. I think that's so common. If we were doing ourselves the service of even talking to each other as women about it, I think we would uncover a lot of things happening. And that usually happens after breakups and stuff. People are a little more open to talk about the things that felt off. I just, I don't think it has to be so shameful and horrible. Yeah, no, I mean, a simple conversation about it, I think is fair. Right? Yeah. Is this something you're comfortable with? How do you know that putting your hands around someone's throat is not traumatic, is not going to re-traumatize them or trigger something or just something they're not comfortable with because they're not comfortable with it? And let's also like not ignore the fact that in the majority of cases, men are much larger than women physically. And so here you are not just putting your hand on my throat, but you're just a larger person than me. And I'm not even the smallest of women, right? Like I'm a very tall woman and, but 
I can't imagine what someone even smaller than me feels like when this large man does that without having the conversation beforehand. So I don't know. I just thought it was really important. It was such an eye-opening experience for me listening to Priya talk about that. I didn't want to leave it as just a, a punchline to the moment that I thought that because it's it's important. Conversation, communication. I think we should normalize more being open about talking about sex with our partner so that it's not shameful. So there's no ego involved. So it's about two people meeting in the middle, wanting to bring each other pleasure and feel connected in that way. Absolutely. And no one is left with any uncertainty about what they're comfortable with. Exactly. Let's shift gears here. Tell me what you're in the mood to talk about today. Yeah. I mean, I want to say today we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about this in a very general sense. But this episode may lean a little bit more towards women, single women that have this societal pressure to meet certain milestones, such as partnership, marriage, and children. I think for all genders, there is a societal pressure to find romantic partnership. So I wanted to challenge the belief that there's something wrong with you if you are single and if you haven't found your partner by a certain age or reached these certain milestones because I run into that a lot with my patients. I have a lot of young, and this is young women, young men. There is a lot of a grief about this and low self-worth, this idea that there's something wrong with me. And I don't want married people or people in partnerships to think like, we're just hating. That's not what we're doing. We're protecting a group of people that I have sit in my office who are like fucking suicidal. Going back to what you were saying about societal pressure, society yeah. is built still to support the idea of marriage, the idea of coupling. And that that is why you have these patients who are suicidal because they're they're working against a social cultural system that is putting so much value and pressure on partnership and being in a long-term committed relationship to be able to say, well, maybe that's not for me. I mean, I was sitting with a group of women the other day and the question always comes up. So are you dating? (laughs) And I know it comes from a place of love, of wanting to see me at that level of happiness and self-exploration and companionship with someone. But You know, for me, I'm in still such a mode after being going through a divorce. I've been single for four years. Like I'm still in that mode where I'm I'm tiptoeing out like I'm tiptoeing at the idea of, well, yeah, maybe I do want a long term partnership again, but I'm still working out what that looks like, because the idea I had of what that was wasn't right. And I want to talk about that a little bit because, and I will share my own experience of dating. And because of all of my relational trauma, I too have, we'll say, engaged in not the healthiest relationships. That being said, you know, if you are someone like you and I, that's doing the work on themselves, maybe you're working with a therapist on it and you're really kind of learning to heal some of, we'll say your childhood trauma, you do have to be more careful with the partners you pick, you have to discriminate a lot more. Granted, I do think there's a question to be had of how many standards are too many standards. And at what point are you actually blocking your ability to connect and be in a partnership, which I know you and I have 
talked about and we'll cover in another episode too that veers more towards attachment style. But now after having put myself in a position to be in a long-term commitment with someone and discovering through that long-term commitment, a lot of stuff that did not work for me, a lot of stuff that was unhealthy for me, my list is, is a bit more refined and long. I constantly am checking myself on every item on that list of what my stakes are for a relationship to work. We've talked about the foundation you create as a single person. There are some schools of thought that say you can you can do this within a relationship. I personally think the work you do on yourself as a single person will last you a lifetime. And I think that is so, so important long-term um, and, and knowing yourself enough and, and having that self-worth, you can be more discriminant in, in the partners you choose. Ianla Van Zant wrote a really spectacular book on this topic. It's called In the Meantime. And, and it's through the lens of healing childhood trauma. And she talks about how you kind of, you know, we do project a lot of our stuff onto our partners. The the, yeah. the more unhealthy we are, the more we project. And, you know, there's all kinds of like trauma bonds happening. But she talk, talks about how you learn about yourself in each and every relationship. And, and she talks about like you're cleaning out all that, you know, like you're healing the trauma, but you're cleaning out different floors of the house. And it's it's a great book because it, it highlights the benefits of, of, failed relationships and being single, because this is a culture that tells us failed relationships are bad and being single is bad. But yeah. my lens is there's so much value in it because you learn so much about yourself and you, you are so much more comfortable standing on your own two feet. Ooh, you just opened a whole lot up. I'm with you on all of that. I have gone through long-term relationships. I've sustained being single for a long time. But here's my question for you, Miss Therapist. <laughs> I'm tiptoeing out of my, okay, I've I've been self-work four years. I've gone through my trauma recovery from that said relationship. I focus so hard on my self-work and my self-worth and checking in with myself and saying like, where did I bring bullshit to the table? And so I'm like, hallelujah, I'm healed. Right. And then <laughs> I, I start dating a man and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go back in my hole because obviously <laughs> I'm not healed for someone like me. Like, when do I say, all right, this is scary. You're up against something new. But if you want this, this is one of those things you have to push yourself. That's a really important question. And I think it's it's such an arb there's such an arbitrary answer to it because as individuals, we're so unique. So for you, I, you know, I would kind of create whether it's uh, you write this down or you kind of create it in your mind, like there's non-negotiables, right? So, you know, these are absolute deal breakers for me. If you have a history of not, this is what I hear often. I've said it myself. And I hear this very often with patients that have a history of traumatic relationships is I can't trust myself. Yes. Oh my God. Like that is my running dialogue. I'm working on it with my therapist. He said, you have to walk into the room being open to experience something outside of what you've already experienced mm, because like your past experience you're carrying with you to define every new experience in front of you and if you can somehow at least in moment by moment 
get a grip on yourself and disarm yourself from that and just take an experience for what it is, something new. He said, that part of yourself that that monitors those things, that's clocking those things, that's there and that's automatically happening. You don't have to be on top of making sure that's happening. You're already doing that. You have to do the work of opening yourself because you have been put into place to be constantly monitoring and clocking. Is this, is this okay? Am I going to be hurt here? Yeah, definitely. I would give credit to your nervous system. It will tell you, right? And I think there's always been this misconception about the butterflies in my stomach. And I get so excited. I mean, I used to date men that I would be literally sick to my stomach when I'd be going to hang out with them. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Like that wasn't nervousness. That was anxiety. That was my body telling me this is an absolute no, this is not your person. Like you need to really ask yourself. And this is again, if you can't really access the rational mind, right? Because subconsciously we are drawn to those same types of behavior, like the same types of relationships that are maybe not not the healthiest. So listen to your body. If your body doesn't feel safe around this person, I don't know, something, something is off. Right. And, and I always ask my patients this when they're really, it's, it's this really hard line between is this person good for me? Is this the right partner? And, you know, am I setting too many standards and, and boundaries and because I'm so guarded and yes, and I get hurt. Right. Yes. I always ask my patients, how do you feel about yourself in this relationship? Because for mm. some reason we have standards with our friendships and romantic partners where you're like, Oh, with my friends, I'm confident I'm outgoing and I'm assertive. And I'm all... with this person in my life, I'm quieter and I am I'm not as confident and I just don't feel like like there's a lot of self-worth stuff. I don't feel like my best self. And I'm like, wait a second, then then that's probably not the person for you. You yeah. know, but but they check off everything else on the box. Yeah. They do all this from they, you know, they buy me groceries and you know, um they get my car fixed. Right. They may tell you they love you and they may do all these other really great things that from the outside looks like this is a good partner, but if you don't feel like the best version of yourself and that you want to grow and you want to be just, just you, who you authentically are, something may be off. Yeah. Yeah. And I would even say just from speaking from my own experience where my most recent long-term relationship that ended, I found myself living separate lives. Like mm-hmm. there was my life with my partner and then there was my life with my friend and little by little that social life outside of my partnership dwindled down. And I just felt less of myself, but all encompassed in this relationship. This idea that your partner needs to provide all of your needs or you're going to get everything from that person. And I think that's a fantasy. Dude, I was having, this has been an epiphany of mine recently. <laughs> Seriously, I've been like thinking about it. I was dating someone for like six months. It was semi-casual. It was a new experience in that it was exactly what I needed at that time. Like I didn't dive right in. In my lowest points he's not someone I'm gonna call right away to talk to it's Mm -hmm. this worked here and I still had this fuller life and it was actually the fact that I had this fuller life I have this emotional support system through my family and friends 
that made it okay that I only needed this little slice of a relationship over here. And I think we're taught that. I think we think we need that. And for some people that is, but I think your world's actually smaller when it all exists just in that relationship. Because in my experience, it has been. My most recent long-term relationship that ended, Mm -hmm. my world got really small because I felt like it had to all exist there. Yeah. We can just use the our favorite term, codependency. Yes. There you go. Um, <laughs> it's like that working of redefining what a relationship is. Because it is it is hard work to yeah. break the mold of what you had so been used to and what society conditions you to see as what a relationship is meant for, which is this all-encompassing, right. you are my everything type of mentality. And to do the work of saying, well, no, you're, you're nice to have around, but I got a whole lot going on over here too. So I'll see you later. Like that's okay. Absolutely. And I think more so in today's, you know, 2023, um, the reality is women will say, do not need men the same way we used to before we had all the rights that we have today. So there was a lot more dependence on a man now. So there's a lot of things that we can do on our own that we have, you know, these rights to. So I think we're renegotiating. What do we want in a partnership? What do I need? And the the beauty in that is you get to decide each individual, each partner gets to decide as a couple, because there's no rule book. There's no blueprint for this. It's up to you. You get to decide if I want a partner that lives across the country and we see each other twice a year, we have really good sex and he's this person I can call and talk to when I need to. Great. That works for you. Yeah. You know, or, or there's other people that say, no, I want to be with this person every single day. And, you know, I think maybe that it, it can get a little unhealthy when like what you said was the expectation of the partner to meet all of your needs. There is a difference between wanting a person and needing a person. And I had this conversation recently with someone who said it was a man and they said they want to feel needed in the relationship. I'm like, okay, I I get that. But the difference in wanting and needing is needing someone is, is more you're dependent on that person for those certain things. And it's almost like you can't survive without them. Um, it's not the healthiest because with, you know, it's, you're setting these expectations that someone will absolutely fall short at some point. Wanting someone in a relationship is much more powerful because you're saying, I choose to be with you. I, I can survive without you, but I choose to be with you. For me, that feels it's, it's definitely healthier and it feels more powerful. It's more powerful, but I will say it also raises the stakes of can that other person meet you? I think it's actually a great way to temperature check the respect level in your relationship, because if you can make it clear to the other person, like, sure, what you bring is amazing. You know, if you're paying more of the finances or even half of the finances, whatever you might be bringing, I'm willing to give all that up if I don't feel like you're meeting me here in a way where I feel respected and loved and cared for. And I would hope you're holding me to the same standard. It is tricky because I think there are still a lot of relationships that act out that need, like, Like I'm going to put up with this person's shit behavior. This person makes me feel pretty crappy about myself on the regular, but they pay the bills. So I'm going to put up with that. So there's that fear, that attachment 
to the relationship for what it brings. So I, I am all for that. Let's take the need out of the relationship and put the, the want back in. Let's, let's talk about the fact that we need someone. And, and for a man to say this, I would say for me personally, as a woman is a bit triggering because I've worked really hard in my life, not to need anyone. And again, that doesn't mean like I'm this lone wolf and I, and I don't have people in my life. Obviously I need people to a certain extent. We all do. We are social creatures, but there throughout history, women have tolerated a lot in relationships because they did, we did need men. We did need, need men to take care of us in a way financially. And, um, you know, in, in so many other ways that, we did tolerate things. So again, like you said, the, the bar is being raised a little bit. I don't need you again. I can survive without you, but what you bring to the table is something I really enjoy. And I can, and I can make that, I can make that discernment at this point in my life that you're someone I enjoy spending time with. And there is a mutual respect and companionship. How our society puts so much weight an emphasis on partnership and relationships and how that makes you more of a complete person. If you're part of one, like to us just having this conversation to dispel the need for that to be whole is in itself saying like, okay, new landscape. Like, are we all going to step up and bring a new value of ourselves to the table in order to create partnership? Absolutely. And the the need I, I focus a lot on financial, but the need could also be I need you because I can't tolerate being alone. That was yeah. me. That was my story, right? Like my dependence on my thirteen year relationship was I hated the guy at the end. Like <laughs> hated it. Literally was like I'm sick to my stomach by the thought of you, but I need you because I am so scared of being alone. And the idea of being alone is, is too much. And, and couple being in a, in a, you know, society that tells us there's something wrong with you. If you're single, whether you're a man or a woman, or, you know, it's, do I need to get married is the question. Do I need a partner? Right. There's so yes. many different ways to look at it, but I have a lot of young females, you know, with, I mean, of course, as a female, there's so much pressure to get married, right? Have children, do well, the- And the clock is a real thing, right? Like, Absolutely. I think everyone we know right now, like approaching 40, that gets really, really real quickly is we have to think about that. So it puts a new pressure on things. Sure. So the question, and then there's, there's the why. Why do I have to get married and have children? I will say to anyone who asks me, if you are not sure and you're just kind of like, well, my mom wants me to have a kid or, you know, I'm always like, don't have a child. Like, (laughs) I think you're just servicing your life, the child's life, the person you're having the child with, if you're on the fence about it, because it gets really hard really quickly. And it's just, our society's not built for family and for support. And it's not as tribal as we, we would probably benefit from. So there's a lot of isolation that you're about to embark on if you're going to do it. And you have to be so sure that this is what I chose. Anytime I have a tough time, I'm like, I chose this though. I really wanted a child. And like that I'm so clear on and it makes those hard moments bearable. But like, if you, if not, like, what do you do? Like, what are you left with? 
Right. But I do like that there's more, you see it out there on social media and just from friends and just people's lifestyle choices. Like more women are accepting like, no, having a child's not for me. And I think that's okay. Absolutely. I mean, the reality is it's not all peaches and cream, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and- I mean, I remember years ago, you know, I was working with my therapist and I was so desperate in love, you know, like in love with anyone who would give me the time of day. It was just like this idea that like I needed a partner so desperately because I couldn't you be. You always love to love though. You, you just a little lover. <laughs> <laughs> but she kind of challenged me one day and she was like, you know, what is it about? Like, she was like, let's think about the other side. Like, marriage and children what is it that you want about them you know and and I don't even remember if she self-disclosed because I know she's married with two children but you know I think she just like highlighted the other side of it like it's not all peaches and cream like you get married you have to share your life with another human being you know like there's a lot of compromise in that and then you have this human being now that you're if you have a child that you have to raise and, and sacrifice a whole lot a whole um, lot. <laughs> you can't go to the bathroom. You can't shower. I mean, I hear what you tell me. I'm like, you just take a nap in the middle of the day. <laughs> I have not done a bathroom visit by myself in five years. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. There's a total surrender. There's like a, to me, my mechanism to do it is like, I had to surrender. Okay. This is where my life is right now. I wanted a kid. I have a kid. I didn't plan to do it solo. I am doing it solo and I'm rolling with it. And because of that, there are parts of my career that won't flourish. Like I will not be able to take certain jobs that would have me traveling all the time. I veer towards taking more remote jobs. I have to be home. You know, I, here I am single dating wise, like I can't afford to go on more than one date a week, you know, and even that there's guilt involved, like that's a reality. So yeah, there's a ton of sacrifice when you have kids. And I think it's relevant. Why do you want to get married? Why do you want to? Right, right. And like you said, if it's kind of pressured by your parents or your friends or society, like, you really need to kind of check that because there is a world of young girls that myself included are so driven by the idea of what we were supposed to do. We're supposed to get married. We're supposed to have a family. You know, I'm really excited because right now women are at least in our age group, they're more vocal going in early on in dating experiences about their wants and needs and expectations going into a relationship. And I actually have a friend, she's 40 and she met a guy on a dating app. And she's very clear. She wants a baby within a year, like whether it's with a partner or she does it on her own, that's her goal. And so in her dating experiences, that's something she brings to the table right away. Um, And so she had pretty recently met a guy. um, He's in his early forties as well. They had a conversation, their very first date. She said, I'm looking to have a baby. I plan on having one in the next year. And the guy was like, wow, like I'm in that place too. I would love that. So they actually started their dating off with that very clear intention. There was no game playing of, all right, we're trying each other out as potentially co-parenting on that level of partnership within a year, which I think is amazing. So then, you know, cut to seven months in and they're pregnant. Um, and a lot of people go, whoa. Um, and I know she's she's had backlash like that in her life where people have 
have kind of been like, what? You just met up seven months ago. But everyone gets to choose as individuals what works for them. Yeah. As long as again, this is where this is the only draw, the like line I draw for my patients and myself is as long as you don't feel bad about yourself in this relationship and it's not causing you more harm than good. You know, currently we're we're challenging these notions, but as women, we've always been encouraged, I think more so to want the partnership, to strive for the partnership, to do a lot of the heavy emotional lifting in the partnership in terms of just guiding us through and accepting, well, he doesn't know how to express himself. So I'm going to express it for him, or I'm going to accept that level of not expressing himself and understand that when he throws something at the wall, it just means he's upset. And I hurt his feelings. Um, (laughs) Just for example, but so as women, we are geared towards doing more of that work and towards kind of being the driving force of the relationship. But I actually do believe just by the nature of us being a bit more, not just the more social gender, but also encouraged to be more in tune with our emotions and express our emotions comfortably. We are more capable of having outlets outside of the romantic relationship, having the friend group we can go to, to fulfill other parts of our needs. And I think for men, it's been a bit more of a challenge. And so that's why right now it, it is a lot harder because we are, we are looking for them to meet us there. Yes. I mean, I want to say like you and I in particular, we are very, very blessed to have the support system that we have. Yes, absolutely. The the female friendships that we have and so many years, you know, along my journey with, with patients I've worked with, I recognize that that's not common, right? There's a, there's a world of people that do not have those best friends that we have with each other. We can call any time of day, you know, and just be honest with each other. Like the, this rawness that comes from each of us. That's just like, we could, we could really call each other out on shit and still love each other at the end of it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I could even say as like a single mom, I don't even mm-hmm. like using that word as a solo parent. Um, Cause there's just so much negative stigma attached as a solo parent. I'm not your typical scenario where, it, and this is really sad because there's so many, especially women, solo parents out there, they end their marriage, they're alone with the kids. And because of where they live or other factors, they end up being completely isolated and not having any communal support. I am so goddamn blessed that I have my family, my friends, and I'm not even talking like financially because I carry my own financial load, but just to have people to be like, Hey, you're doing a good job to hear that. Like that just little bit, it goes so far. And I think there's a lot of women who are parenting alone and men, but women Mm -hmm. more so that aren't getting that feedback and that support. Yeah. I agree. Which makes them hold on to relationships longer than they probably should because it's scary out there. Biologically, women are more nurturing. That's, you know, kind of, that's a fact. And and the social conditioning of it's okay to be emotionally expressive and affectionate and loving. Just like side note, sorry, because you're on this and I think it's so, it's such a clear example. As a parent, I, I see life 
playing out in front of me all the time in the simplest, most distilled form. And I will tell you, I see older generations, grandparents, older great aunts, great uncles with my son, who's Mm. five, say, oh, don't cry. Be a tough guy. Be a big boy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I'm not that mom you do that with. (laughs) Because I'm like, it's okay to cry. Let's express the emotion fully. And then I'll have grandpa over here saying, come on, don't cry. And it's like, no, no. (laughs) But that said, like, that's me in my 2023, you know, quote unquote, woke mom stage. Yeah. cultivating that in my five-year-old but the men we grew up with more clearly were raised differently that yeah if you express yourself if you express vulnerability especially in its simplest form I'm hurting so I'm crying you were a wimp and don't do that definitely and that's you know I know plenty of women who were also taught that that's like a generational thing I think across the board we've all kind of been taught that vulnerability is a weakness but little boys more so are taught to be tough and you know get up don't you dare cry get to work go pay the bills go fix shit yeah. right like there's no sitting around crying if a woman does that it's it's much more socially acceptable though I do wonder and I can't wait I can't wait till my son's like in his 20s and he's like Come, you were always letting me cry and now I just cry all the time and I fucking hate that my life stops because I have to have a good cry. (laughs) In what way are they going to be pissed at us for like, like (laughs) overindulging the expression of emotion? But I don't I don't want to say that, but there is a possibility of this. I mean, it, it, it drives me crazy when people still today are so judgmental and it can be men or women. And there's this whole di- idea of, of a woke culture and, and there's still a language being used of you're a sissy, you're weak, you're a wimp, oh, all of you. yeah. you're too sensitive. And I'm like, wait a second. Oh, don't get me started on the too sensitive because that's like a whole other. <laughs> yes, people say that, you know, wait a second, you're going to stop and acknowledge your emotions. That's you're too sensitive. And you're going, wait. This is a, this is literally emotional intelligence. It is just important as all the things that we've read and all, all the books and everything we've learned in school, your emotional intelligence is power. That is strength. That is and how- in fact, I would even go to say, you know, there there's the people telling you you're too sensitive because you're acknowledging and talking about your emotions after you've had them or during you've had them. But then they're the same people that could turn around and have an emotional outlash and then not stop to consider it. And it's like, well, you're actually negligent with your emotional expression. Right. And that's why emotional intelligence and expression is so, I think, powerful. And it makes you such a strong individual because without emotional intelligence, you are walking around the world in an unconscious state and you are acting out of an emotion that you don't even know you're having. So every, every behavior we engage in is based on an emotion. So if we have a world of people that don't understand how they're feeling, they sure as hell don't know how the hell they're acting. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) That is damn true. To the point where when you're someone who tries to offer that feedback, Get it. Yeah. Oh, it's the shutdown. 
<laughs> it's like, you're crazy. Right. You gave the example before of someone who's maybe not acknowledging an emotion and then they lash out in in um, an external, maybe aggressive way. There's also the internalization of emotions where someone completely shuts down. And, yeah. and that shutdown is, I think it's a defense mechanism for certain people, because again, they don't understand that maybe I'm feeling angry, maybe I'm feeling sad, whatever I'm feeling, I have been taught, I'm not allowed to express it. So I will hold it in, I will suppress it. But in a partnership, since we're talking about relationships, shutting down and, and disengaging from a partner in a relationship can be a form of emotional abuse. And yes. I know- that's a hard that's a hard one for people to understand but it it can be torture when you're in a relationship with someone and there's this pullback there's a, it's emotional neglect and again isn't it wouldn't it be more valuable for this individual to acknowledge hey i'm feeling really overwhelmed right now i need to take 5 minutes away instead of turning off my phone ignoring your phone calls for 3 days and the other person is going what is happening does this person love me anymore? And all kinds of things are happening. There is a world in which it can be emotional abuse, but I do want to make it clear just because I've personally gone through this where in order to counter the aggressive expression of my partner's emotions, I countered it, countered the energy in, in the way the dynamic was playing out by shutting down. Post-relationship, I went through a period where I questioned, was I being abusive by shutting down? Now, granted, my shutdown wasn't turning off my phone. It wasn't ignoring the partner. It was just being as non-expressive with my emotions as possible in order to allow the space to be dominated by the other person's emotional expression. Um, and in that way, like I had to work with a therapist to realize like I wasn't being abusive. I was using it for survival. Absolutely. And that's, that's different. And I, it's important to point that out because there are a lot of behaviors that could be considered either abusive or survival or survival that also turns into abusive because you stay within this toxic play out of a relationship. Okay. That's why I said it can be a yeah. form of emotion. It's not, it's not always, that's not, I'm not saying when people shut down emotionally, that's emotional abuse abuse. That's not, it's not like black and white. Yeah. It is a defense. Mechanism. Some people do not have the awareness of how they're feeling and they suppress it and they shut down in an extreme version of that. And there's a pattern of it in a relationship. It can be put in the category of emotional abuse. Uh, there is a certain difference in what is it? EQ, right? Mm -hmm. Emotional IQ. Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be gender based right like there and I don't know if it's the way men and women are raised differently or if it's just the way we function and drive differently but there is certain more of a level of emotional awareness and self-analysis and reflection that women do that a lot of men that I that I've encountered haven't done not to say all because I've met so many men that have but at what point should we be meeting them too that's a great question that I mean that that's I think in essence what my patient and I were talking about do we dismiss certain partners we'll say men in this context because they don't meet the emotional capacity 
right? The standard of the emotional capacity that we have now designated. And, you know, the feedback I gave my patient, which I think is something my therapist said to me years ago, which was a little bit different, but just, um, you can't expect to get all your needs met by one person, right? And then, you know, the conversation with the, the my patient was the emotional support. I don't know if, and again, and I said to my patient, I hate to sound sexist because this does sound sexist, but maybe our male partners are not where we get that emotional support. If, if, if they're great in every other area and they're a good partner and they're supportive and they're, you know, we love them and we respect each other. Uh, if they don't have the same emotional capacity as us, does that mean that they're, they're out? Right. And I think we want to say, yeah, no, that's it. I, you know, we're done. Cause I need someone that meet, you know, maybe not, maybe this person doesn't have to provide that for us. But like you said before, we have a ton of female friendships that can provide that. I have a list of females friends that I can call when I'm feeling emotional, where I need emotional support and, and communicate on our language level. Right. Cause like, exactly. Dudes don't count on us to go watch football with them and like grunt through their feelings, right? Like Exactly, which, and and again, there's some women that could or want to do that, right? So it's just like a generalization, but women are much more capable of validating your emotional experience where where men are more solution focused. Yeah, and that, I mean, that solution focus, like I just want to fix it actually has created so much friction in a lot of male, female romantic relationships that I've been a part of that I've witnessed. And like, I think I I'm here what you're saying. Like, I almost feel like a lot of females have to just adjust ourselves with our expectations to be Uh okay. I can't fully emotionally put my load on him because his need to fix things he's not going to be able to fix this for me. And where, where do you want it to be fixed? Maybe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They don't even want to be fixed or they can't be fixed. Like you said, the emotional validation is all that we need. And that's, that's humans across the board. We all need to be validated, to be seen, to be understood. That that's where the issue comes because of course we want our partner to validate us and see us. So like, how do we communicate to someone who doesn't have the emotional IQ to hear us, listen, and be there that I don't want you to fix this. I just want you to hear me and see me. Like You have to communicate it. And, and that's what I do. I date. I am very straightforward because I, I understand that that's not their, their, their initial reaction is to fix. Right. Um, or, or to kind of blow through it. Right. Where it's like, all right, like, don't take that on. Like, you're going to be fine. Like, which is, is, is nice. Like it's not the wrong answer, but you do want, just want to be kind of like validated in that moment. But I've told people in the past, what I need from you in this moment is to say, I'm sorry, that must be hard. You're strong. You can get, you know, like positive affirmations, whatever. I don't need you to fix it. Hopefully you have a partner that says, okay, I understand that. And I can, you know, modify my reaction a bit to give you what you need. So the other issue with that is, now you're kind of poking at an insecurity in a man, right? Or a possible insecurity that, oh, well, I can't give you that emotional validation. Um, and you're not even saying it directly, but, and, and again, this is personal experience. A lot of experience I've, I've had with patients and, and their partners is I'm asking you to evolve a bit. I'm asking you to meet me where I am. I'm asking you to- But I think that language can't be used. No, I feel right, like that's course, such triggering language. Like right. I'm asking you to evolve and meet no, me. No, <laughs> of course, that's not like, but 
by kind of which I had to say out loud because I would be over intellectualizing it and just have that type of conversation with someone and then look at them and be like why are you so insulted (laughs) me too absolutely Um, (laughs) but you know you're you're pointing out a deficiency in them as men right because they were not taught this this they were taught to be strong and fix things and get through and that's it so there i think that's where a lot of relationships kind of run into trouble i would say more so nowadays and i think that's why we have a lot of single people in their late 30s 40s because there's friction right because you can have a healthy partnership where whether it's a man or a woman that says, Hey, I, I would like for you to do things again, different language, but you know, can you improve in this way? Or can you modify some part of yourself to meet me where I'm at? And instead of being open to that change, you have someone whose insecurities just are, you know, their ego is bruised. Right. So all they hear is you're not enough. You're inadequate. Yeah. And exactly. That reaction to that can often be, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Or I'm going to insult you because you just made me feel really bad about myself. Right, right. And let me uh, let me put you down. <laughs> so how like what language do you use to work around that? Any assertive communication requires I statements. This is something I've learned about myself along the way. I've learned about myself in relationships and it's something I need or I would like. Do you think you can give me that? And saying it, being prepared to hear them say, well, no, that's not what I'm able to give you. Sure. Yeah. Because I think a lot of men, women go into conversations like that, expecting to hear the absolutely yes. Or we hope, or or on the flip side, a lot of people will not speak up because they're fearful of not getting that answer or the answer that they want. And then what do they do? They just bottle their shit up and that's it. You want to feel like the best version of yourself. Um, And the responses I often get are, you know, this person checks off all these boxes like on paper, but I feel alone or I feel demeaned or disrespected within this relationship. And then we go back to the why. So why do you want this relationship? Why is this relationship so important? Because if it's the the box is checked off, it feels like you are fulfilling someone else's needs, right? This is what society has told you. You need this, this, this in a partner. But let's, let's go back to like using the term, the boxes are checked off because we're talking about two separate categories of boxes. There's like the societal depth, uh, the societal pressure and weight on being complete through a relationship, those boxes. But I would encourage just because I, I'm, this is where I'm at with myself, but I would encourage people to be more in depth with their own set of boxes and criteria for bringing it back to first, what you're saying, the why, why do I want a relationship? Um, And then from there, okay, that feels legit. That feels clear. That feels like it's my decision, but then what are the things that would make me feel good about this relationship, support it, loved, cared for, whatever that is please. Even nowadays where women have evolved and we have our own careers and we have our own bank accounts and we pay our own bills and all that, there is still a notion of women wanting, he's got to have a good job and he's got to make a lot of money and he's got to be this, you know, height. And it's like, why? Dude, don't even get me started on the height thing because that is like... (laughs) 
the bane of my fucking existence. <laughs> All right. No, wait, we're going to talk about this really quick. Okay. <laughs> because, and I'm going to get general as fuck with this too, because <laughs> it's, it's a little pain on my fucking side. Sorry. A lot of F-bombs here. <laughs> I am five foot 11 and three quarters. Okay. I will not say I'm six foot, even though you go on these dating apps and the men on there are saying that they're five eleven, and then I meet them and they're five nine. Okay. <laughs> That's not my grievance. Okay. I get why you lied. Got it. We're good. That said, I've also met men who are like six, four, and they're like, I won't date a woman who is taller than five six what yeah so like people are like oh you're so tall and that's so great as a woman yada yada granted now that i'm of a certain age and i've lived a certain amount of life i love my height i love it it it's just it's great clothes look wonderful on me <laughs> sorry let me own something damn it um, I, I never have to look for someone to reach something on a high shelf. Like my son thinks it's so cool that mommy's tall right now. He does that. Mommy's taller than everyone. Like, it's great. I love it. That said, I'm going to push back on men. They get so angry that women don't want you of a certain height because guess what, buddy on this end as a tall female, I'm facing up the same thing. Okay. Men don't want to unless you're looking to just show it off or conquer it or be you know it's like your conquest i banged a six foot lady like men are not looking for tall women they're not unless you're like so goddamn secure in yourself you're not looking yeah. for a tall lady so <laughs> that said i challenge everyone I talk to man and woman on their height standards because I've dated shorter than me I've dated taller than me so, I mean I do have my own preference I do prefer taller or at least at my height that's over time because I've explored all of it but if you haven't explored go explore yes I agree and then my I piece. mean this highlights again that highlights the importance of you creating your own list, like your own boxes. It, it's, you know, I think the pressure of society tells you this is what you should want in a partner. And then that's fair. If you choose, you know, there's a certain height limit, whatever for my partner. Okay. Why? And if it's, if it's because of a need you have, fine, I'll give you that. You know, for me in dating at my age and where I am in my life, I do want to date someone who has um, a job. We'll say, What's a good job mean? A job that you're like a job. Yeah, yeah. Job at all. Have a job. No, a certain (laughs) job that our schedules align, right? Got it. Yeah, that is important. Yeah, a job that our schedules align because I worked very hard to make sure I have the weekends off, and if I'm dating you, I want to spend the weekends with you and and nights, right? Um, and the certain amount of money you need to make. You need to be able to keep up with me and my lifestyle. That makes right? sense. Like, I'm not asking you to pay my bills, but if I want to go on vacation or I want to go out to dinner and stuff, I would like to be dating someone who can also afford to do those things. So again, it's not it's not because of what society has told me, but these are boxes I've designated for myself. So as an individual, it is important for you to do the same. This is important to me because it's important to me. 
Absolutely. I'm with you on that. No judgment. I do think women get a hard rap when they're like, I want you to be making X amount of dollars. But I know being within these circles and having these in-depth conversations, it's more often than not what you said, which is mm -hmm. not that I want them to have to take care of me. And granted, if that's the dynamic you're looking for, there's plenty of men and women that do want to play out that dynamic of the man's the provider, the woman wants that's great. that. If that works for them, but fine. more often than not, this day and age, it is about wanting you to be able to do the things I'm capable of doing with the income I make. So at least meet me here. I think once you make a decision to be in a relationship and you found someone that meets the basic needs that you're looking for and you guys align on your values, right? And you're compatible in that way. Every single day with that person is a choice because there's no, there's no, there's nothing there's no perfect relationship. And I've dated um, an individual where there was some communication issues and, um, you know, we made a choice to work through it. Right. So instead of me asking this person like, Hey, can you, you know, give me this, or I'm hoping to get a little bit more of this from you instead of them becoming defensive and saying, I'm out of here or whatever. Um, or you're pointing out an insecurity in me, um, this person was willing to kind of work through those things. And I think that's what's required in each partner is to be open to hearing, you know, what your partner needs. And again, making that choice to push through these little bumps in the road, because there's, there, it's never going to be perfect. And guess what? Even if you marry a person at some point in that marriage, they could turn around and say, I thought this was what I wanted, but it's actually not because I've seen a lot of divorces just come out of that where one partner was like, wait, I thought we were doing this is what we went into together. We actually took the time to get to know each other. We took the time to build this up. And then the other partner just being like, well, turns out it's not what I wanted. Tried it on. It didn't work. <laughs> exactly. It happens. <laughs> yeah. And just because we're on it, I do want to say, you know, our good friend Caroline has offered me a lot of good wisdom when it comes to relationships. Um, and, you know, there's always a hesitation. I think we've both been really hurt in relationships. So there is a fear going in. And I think a lot of people have this fear. It's like, you know, how long is this going to last? When is it going to end? And how bad is it going to hurt? Mm. Right. And that's clearly someone who's been hurt before. That's the expectation. Um, and, you know, anytime we start relationships, Caroline and I would talk about like, how soon is it to uh, advance the relationship in any way? Right. So how soon is it to start talking every day? How soon is it to meet each other's families and like all of these things? And you want to protect your heart in a way. So that's why you kind of hold back. And, and Caroline would always say to me, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, it doesn't matter if you wait six months or you wait like two weeks before you decide that you're kind of committed to this person because you're already invested. Yeah. Right? So you're, you, and you kind of have to be, that's the risk you take in love and relationships is this could end at some point and I have to just kind of be in it. So it's there again, there's no rule book on the timing of we're only together two months, you know, he's coming to a wedding with me. Okay, fine. Or yeah. in six months, I want to tell my partner, I love her. Okay. If you feel that, right. Yeah. That's, that's no. And I think, I think that even calls to, you know, there's, there's the rule about like, and, and this, I know is a, is a hot button for a lot of people. Is it appropriate to have sex on the first date? Right. Like it calls to the judgment 
on that, which let's be honest for men and women is different because for a woman, you'll have people right out the gate, judge you. Oh, you put out on the first date, you're a hoe or whatever other word they want to throw at you. But for that person, sexuality might be very, a very important part of what a relationship is for them. And so to know if that aligns, if that connects, if you meet there is important upfront because, and let's, you know, with the dating apps, I have problems with dating apps in general for that reason, not because I'm going to, not because I need to go and have sex with someone on my first date. Like I'm not putting that out there, but for me, not that if you do, there's nothing wrong with it, but (laughs) for me, I'm very much into like, I want to feel physically attracted to someone. And I've definitely had the situation where I've gone, I've had these long drawn out conversations or texting on a dating app with someone. And then you meet them in person and you're like, oh, wow, (laughs) (laughs) this is not going to (laughs) work, which is fine. You have a nice meal with someone or maybe you just say bye bye right there. I definitely don't recommend ghosting anyone. You don't want to make anyone feel bad. Um, But that said, like sexuality is important, is one of the top tier things for some people. And so man or woman, there is no judgment. If that's something that you need to use to measure out, does this have potential for a longer standing relationship? Go ahead and use it as long as it's consensual and you feel good about yourself after doing it. The message I really want to drive home for younger individuals, for people of all genders is there is nothing wrong with you if you are currently single. And if you choose to be single, if you're out there looking and you just haven't found the right person yet, that is okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, You are perfectly entitled to be picky about the partner that you spend your life with. Absolutely. Amen. Namaste. Praise to the universe. I'm with you. Thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of Cracked Up. Angelica and I are very excited for future episodes where we are going to talk about a variety of issues, mental health related, addiction, recovery, childhood trauma. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you have any feedback, any requests on topics you want to hear or learn about, please find me at Randy Mental Health on Instagram. My handle is Randy spelled R-A-N-D-I underscore mental health underscore. Angelica, where can everyone find you? You can also find me on Instagram. I'm at Jella Hester. That's Jella, G-E-L-L-A. No space, Hester, H-E-S-T-E-R. Thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. This podcast is presented solely for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not intended as a substitute for any type of medical advice.